nobody in Miami ever had an open kitchen. And I wanted it to be where people can see a professional chef in the kitchen. And that was a big deal to begin with because mm -hmm. that was not something that was going on in Miami. So to see a professional chef in the kitchen, to see the food being prepared, to be able to interact with the guests from the kitchen side. And so that instead of just food going out the door and losing contact with the food, losing contact with the, the essence of what we're doing, I was able to stay connected to that. And that was ever so important to the, the theory of the, the restaurant, to the openness of my cooking, to the creativity, to the ever-changing menu. Welcome to the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Turk. Join me as we dive into the personal stories of some of the world's best hospitality professionals. We follow the journey of their ups, downs, and wild turns to find out what it truly takes to make it in the amazing world of hospitality. Okay, welcome to another edition of the Hospitality Mentor. Today, I'm actually very excited to have James Beard award-winning Chef Allen here on our show. Chef Allen Susser, I appreciate you joining us and, and taking the time to be on the show today. My pleasure. Glad to be here and uh, share some time with you. So we get started every show with how you got started in this beautiful industry that we all love of hospitality. What was your, your first job? Right. Well, you know, it wasn't a job. It was mm -hmm. hospitality and a, a pleasure being with people, cooking for people, making, uh, seeing that joy in their face. It was actually cooking hot dogs and hamburgers in an amusement park. Wow. Now as a kid who wouldn't want to spend time, in an amusement park with the rides, with the excitement, with the people, all, every, everything going on, especially on fireworks night or something like that. And so that uh, I love being there and kind of making hamburgers and hot dogs and French fries. Um, this was an exciting spot to be in because uh, I was cooking. I was cooking on a big grill and the grill is filled with hot dogs and just hundreds of them. And I was cooking, put, it, put the hot dog in the, the, the bun handing it over, they'd hand me cash. Yes, in the old days, we used to get food for cash. <laughs> food, you know, hot dog, give me $2. Hot dog, give me $2. And so we were selling hot dogs, you know, fast and furious, left and right. People were, were you know, giving it to their kids, giving it to their friends. Uh, and, and it was, you know, it was just a lot of fun and a lot of excitement and smiles everywhere. And kind of, I said that this is a fantastic thing to be. I've got food in my hands. I'm cooking. I'm enjoying it. I'm sharing the joy. They're giving me money for this. You got to be kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what theme park was it? Where were you? In New York. It was uh, Rockway's Playland. Oh, very uh, nice. Rockway was right on the beachfront uh, in Rockway and uh, I had moved there from Brooklyn. We just had moved out to Far Rockaway, and uh, there's a beachfront community, and uh, just a, a a large amusement uh, park was there. And the summertime job for me, it, it was fabulous. So, so you, you were in high school during that time? I was, yeah. Do you remember like your first kind of shift? Do you can you remember what that felt like when they kind of threw you on that grill? Did you know what you were doing, or was it just you're going to survive on this grill today? 
No, I, you know, previously that was the first job. Before yep. that, I've always cooked with my grandmother. I've always enjoyed being in the kitchen with her, seeing the love and attention that she put into her pots and pans and food. Mm -hmm. And for me, I'd rather be in the kitchen than sitting in the dining room table waiting for food. I always want to be in the kitchen with her helping, whether it was serving or whether it was chopping and dicing or smashing or whatever it was. And so that, uh, you know, even going shopping with her, going to the marketplace, going to the Market Avenue and picking out the, the, the best uh, fresh ingredients. I mean, this is really what we did uh, as a kid so that when it came to a, a summertime job, this was like a natural reaction to jump on the grill and, and start cooking. Did you find like you were putting any little spin at that young age on what you, the stuff that you were making? Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> of course. So here, here, you know, so the amusement park, it, uh, it was a concession stand. And so the concession stands, there was like six of them. Yep. And with the concession stands, there was a one that, that did popcorn, one that did uh, cotton candy, one that did, uh, you know, soft serve ice cream. And so that for me, you know, the hot dog was cool because I was I could roll 20 at a time. And, you know, other people going like, well, how do, how do you keep up with this grill and how do you know which is hot? And, you know, but that sort of flow and organization seemed like a natural. And so that when I went to the, the cotton candy station, uh, you know, they had two very big bins. And one, you know, so you start making cotton candy and you start building and building and you sort of build this whole fluffy hairdo of, uh, you know, big head of uh, cotton candy. And then someone's next to me doing the other one. And so we're making them together. And then uh, she had to step away and the line wasn't giving up. And so I started making the two of them together, left and right, left and right, making it. And, I, you know, for me, I was I was able to make left and right, both of them at the same time as big and as beautiful as anything else. And people were like going, you're the best cotton candy maker I've ever seen. <laughs> you know, so, you know it, it's, it's just in my hands. You know, you, you've got the, 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 the love and the, the, the passion in your hands. And I, I knew this was, uh, this was for me. So high school, you're doing the summer job and then you start to transition, right? You go to culinary school, don't you? Is that right after high school or were you cooking beforehand? How did, how did well, that transition no, happen? Um, Actually, a good one. Uh, I actually worked at the amusement park for uh, three years. Uh, mm -hmm. after, by the third year, I was managing all six outlets. Wow. So at a young, young age, I knew food and beverage management. I was managing the supplies, the organization, as well as the money, as well as the staffing. So, you know, so it was really very interesting. It, it, again, something natural flowing through. And so that that's when I realized I need to go to culinary school. Now, culinary school, there weren't a whole lot of them back then. It wasn't something that you went to college for. You didn't, you know, my mom and dad go like, why are you going to go to culinary school for? I said, because I want to cook. I want to be a chef. Mm -hmm. And so I found one. Uh, the CIA wasn't an accredited university yet. Uh, there was very few uh, culinary schools, but. Being in New York, there was actually one downtown Brooklyn, New York City Tech, which was uh, a fantastic school for culinary and taught French cuisine and classic cooking and baking and pastry, as well as uh, restaurant management. So it was an absolute 
great thing that I found that school. Heck, that was before, you know, all the Food Network that everyone sees now and the celebrity <laughs> chefs, right? That was, yeah. what there was your no family glory. saying to you? What did they say no to you? There was glory in cooking. I mean, there, <laughs> no, like I said, you, you didn't go to school for, a, you know, culinary. I mean, you, you went to, you know, you were going to college to be a doctor, a lawyer, you know, whatever. But luckily, uh, I have an bro older brother and sister, and one became a doctor, one became, you know, a, a professional another way. And so that sort of family pressure was off. So they said, let him do what he wants. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to be the little brother sometimes. See? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. nice. So culinary school, you learn all this fun stuff. And then what was the next step? When did you start really getting into a real restaurant where you're like, wow, okay, this is the first one. So from culinary school, uh, I actually went to Paris because I knew that I wanted to really learn cooking. I knew that I wanted to experience things that I had never tasted, seen, culture, uh, the diversity of, of the you know things that were happening. So I went off to Paris, lived in Paris, worked at uh, a five-star hotel there, uh, the Bristol Hotel on Faubourg Saint-Honoré, right in the heart of uh, the 8th Rondissement. Fabulous place to, to live, work, and play. Uh, and the foods that I saw there, there it was white glove, Garadon service, really ultimate type of service and cuisine and brigade. Uh, so that uh, it was really a very interesting learning experience. Uh, I had to learn French. Yeah, I was going to ask uh, you, you just yeah. show up, this American boy coming here no. from culinary school? Yeah, oh, they, they weren't having it. <laughs> <laughs> what was that like coming in that, that kind of that first day, that first week? Do you remember that? Oh, absolutely. That was, a, it was tough. Uh, every day was tough there. I, I did learn French. I did take some private lessons uh, to learn French and sort of got up to speed on working French. I would not say I can have a literary conversation in French, uh, mm -hmm. but I could read a newspaper as well as uh, be able to talk to my, you know, through, uh, but still in Paris, I was the American. So, you know, I was this guy from out of the world, you know, they considered me a cowboy to me right. that, you know, to them, they saw me on T saw me as a, this TV figure of some guy, you know, who's like a cowboy. And, you know, that's where, where I, I came from. Well, he comes from, you know, that area. Mm -hmm. uh, and Paris was uh, very provincial at the time. And so that the, the team, oh, they, they got me involved. The dirtiest jobs that they could find. Oh, let the American do that. Uh, wow. You know, so cleaning fish, cleaning chickens whole, burning off feathers, cleaning mushrooms, uh, any kind of ingredient that needed to be cleaned and chopped and diced. That was me. You know, but but again, it was a very interesting way to kind of learn the underbelly of cooking, to learn what quality selection was, to learn how to manage and handle exotic ingredients and different things that I had never done before. There was not a thing as convenience foods. There was nothing that came prepared. These were all raw, seasonal, local ingredients. And that's really kind of helped me define my cooking uh, through the years, uh, which is, you know, I, I still look back at, uh, which was a, a great element. 
So where did you go from Paris? You're there. Did you actually go? I want to. Did you like what you were doing, or were you like, "Wow, I can't wait to get back to the U.S.?" Or was it was it in between? What was your feeling? No, your I, I I loved living in Paris. Uh, it was it was an amazing city. Seeing Paris, uh, and I, I was I was only 19 years old, and wow. so it was a you know coming from New York, Paris was manageable. It was a small city compared to New York, so that never bothered me about being in a cosmopolitan city but the history and the culture that was there there were you know streets that were 500 years old bridges that were 200 years old older than the united states as a, as an overall and so that when you sort of see a culture and a history and you can put your feet on it and you can put your hands into it it, it really kind of changes the way that you think about things and you know so the fast and furious moments of new york uh, were completely kind of set aside. I also saw in Paris a different respect for food, a different set of timing where people sat at the table, enjoyed the food that they were eating, enjoyed the time that they had to eat and converse and to kind of at leisure enjoy the experience. And so that also played a role into my learning of what was going on and kind of defining the way I looked at hospitality uh, for my future. That's awesome. I love hearing that. So how did you transition out of Paris? What was the next step from there? Well, after Paris, I traveled Europe for a while. I took a, took a break to travel Europe and see more cities and more food and traveled to Bordeaux and worked in the vineyard for a little bit and went up to, to Champagne and went down to Barcelona to see the markets went across to uh, Italy to see what Rome had to offer and to Venice and, and Florence so that it, it was a magnificent time to kind of absorb the European culture, absorb the, you know, and grow personally and as well as food wise, because quite honestly, I always took notes to all every single meal that I, I took. I, I had a wow. travel log of all the food that I ate. And so I was there on a mission. I wasn't there just to play around and, sit, you know, catch the girls. I was there to, uh, that helped, that, that yeah. was fun too. But uh, it, it was a mission to learn about food. And so I never got deterred from that and kind of ate in uh, high-end restaurants, ate in small cafes, ate at the marketplace, uh, just to experience and learn as much as I could. So you- that, that experience was a, was a, a fabulous time. And were you working the whole way across or was it you had saved up enough money to just hop around? What, no, what did you do? You know, it's funny because uh, you were looking at a time which, you believe it or not, you can live on $10 a day. So on $10 a day, you can stay in a pension, have a bed to sleep in that was safe and warm, as well as ha- have enough to eat uh, the day and also go to a museum or take a train or whatever you needed. So... It was a, a great life experience at the, the same time uh, with that. And so I didn't have to work through it, but I worked through in my own learning of each and every uh, city and culture. Did you keep those journals somewhere? I do. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> See, that'd be a cool book right there. Yeah. Yeah. And well, so that uh, I guess uh, so driving past there, uh, I came down to Florida to go to FIU at that time because I knew that I want to get a culinary and a uh, also a 
four-year degree. And so FIU had just opened uh, a couple years before. And so going to FIU was a great uh, experience for me to see some of the management, the, the law, the accounting, uh, mm-hmm. the components that kind of round out how to run a restaurant and be involved in hospitality. And so you're at FIU. How did, first, how do you pick FIU out of the whole country? Why, why down here? Um, there were only two other universities that I would have picked. And I did, and I got accepted to all three. Cornell mm-hmm. was great, but they had no cooking. There was no, nowhere to work in the afternoons or evenings in Ithaca, New York, in the snow. No, uh, that wasn't where I was going to go. Uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. That wasn't bad, but that seemed like just a did not seem to be involved in the, you know, I just didn't see myself living in a desert. It wasn't as sophisticated culinarily wise as it is today. Uh, it was the backwoods and Miami. Well, who doesn't want to come to Miami for the weather? Right. <laughs> so, and also I knew there was, I can always find a job between the restaurants, the hotels, uh, the, the dining areas. There were, there were always plenty of jobs here in Miami and South Florida. At the time, the FIU Golden Panthers. I remember that back yep. then as well. So you did you started working, right? Didn't you start working in Aventura at that time? Oh, that, before that, uh, yeah. yeah, I worked in Coral Gables while I, at a French restaurant mm-hmm. for a, a couple of years while I went to, to FIU. And truthfully, after the graduating, I went back to New York. Miami was a small town, was not interested in staying. And right. so I went back to New York and I went to work uh, at Le Cirque in New York. That's right. I remember reading that about you. So what yeah. was that like? So one of the top restaurant in the country, right? Got my ass kicked again. Yeah. <laughs> by the French. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, top restaurant in the country. Absolutely. That was the place to be, to be seen. Upper East Side of New York. Wonderful food that was going on. Very thoughtful, delicious uh, based on French cuisine, though there was a little bit of Italian cuisine in there too. Uh, Le Cirque was run by Sirio Macchiani, mm-hmm. uh, one of the top restaurateurs of his day. And the chef uh, at the time was Alan Soliak, who is still a, uh, you know, a wonderful chef and a mentor for me. And, but still, I had my tough days there. But one of the things that, you know, you learn in every place you go, every place. And one of the things that I did learn, actually, on my first day uh, interviewing with uh, Alan, I came in and handed my resume and he saw that I worked in Paris and I had a culinary degree. And he goes like, hmm, okay, so can you make a souffle? I go like, sure, I can make a souffle. No problem. So he says, go ahead, make it. So yeah, you know, just like that, in my suit and you know tie that I showed up in, uh, he points me to the the oven and says the eggs are in the refrigerator. Go make a souffle. And so, wow, I did not expect that that would be a a live interview. Mm -hmm. Uh, But luckily, I I understood the principles. I kind of hobbled it together with the eggs and yolks and. I uh, made a chocolate souffle, so grated some beautiful uh, chocolate, whipped up the egg whites, folded it into the, the yolks and the chocolate, and uh, added a, a little grand to it, put it in the oven, and thank God it rose. 
<laughs> yeah, you were on the original and, cooking show, right? That was exactly. It. And so it rose and it came up, and he, you know, he looked at it. He goes like, mm, "Not bad. Can you work tonight?" I go like, "Oh, okay." So I said, "I, you bet, I'm in." And that that was it. I started working that moment. And how long did you end up working in Le Cirque? I was there for about two years. So, you know, you said legendary restaurant. What was it like? working in that kitchen with so many different talented people and I'm sure a lot of big egos, right? What was it like working in there? It was, it was good. It was, you know, somewhat a collaborative effort amongst the, the cooks. It was very authoritative from a chef's point of view. Chef Allen uh, there, Saliak, really uh, focused his attention on every single little detail of taste, of texture, of flavor, of proportion of everything and so that working with that and uh, you know he had his favorites and he had his uh guys that uh, were thought they were better than him which he sort of crushed them pretty quickly so that <laughs> <laughs> he put them in their place this is the time this is the day where you're allowed to throw pots and pans and you know really show your uh ego in the kitchen so kind of the, the classic French cuisine of the shouting chef uh, till he got what he wanted the first time. If not by the fourth time, it was either the, your dish or you were out the door. So it, it happened like that. And so a very tough place to demanding, but also respectful when you got it right, you got it right. And, uh, you know, I, I think I, I learned a lot. We learned how to work clean, organized, fast, learned techniques that uh, I had never known before. And so that uh, an amazing place to work with uh, a great reputation, well-deserved uh, food and also hospitality. That's amazing. So in that kitchen, were you able to share ideas or was this is my recipe you executed this way? Yeah. 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 This is, this is the way it was. And so that uh, from there, I actually left there to come to Miami so what brought you back? You left. Why Why come back? Turnberry uh, was opening up, and I left with uh, the sous chef from, uh, from Le Cirque, and we went in and started uh, the restaurant at Turnberry because they wanted a Le Cirque of the South in Turnberry. And so that uh, I came in as the sous chef to him. He became the chef and brought that technique and all that sort of fuss and finesse to Turnberry, to this place that was the yacht club of the time. It was the place that uh, all the tennis stars, all the movie stars, all the yachtsmen, the jet sets uh, uh, were coming there. And that so that's was, kind of what it was. Was the, the Sofer family reached out directly, said, this is what we want and yep. bring it down here? Yep, exactly. <laughs> that's awesome. So... Now you're there. When do you, how long are you at this hotel? I was at, at uh, Turnberry for about five years. That's a good time. And it was interesting because, you know, I was working hard, working through. But at that moment, I guess in the, the last year, in the last two years, I could see the writing on the wall in cuisine. You know, the Cirque of the South was not an interesting thing for me. Cooking French food in Miami was not what I wanted to do uh, there. I thought it may have been. I thought, you know, that was the thing. But 
American cuisine, American regional cuisine was coming on board. You can see it in the air. You can smell it. California cuisine, New England cuisine, Southwestern cuisine. These were all new words that were coming up. And what did it mean? And where was it? And kind of regional and local and local farm production and boutique uh, ingredients that were from local areas. And so that this was starting to take shape. And I knew this was where the food was going. I knew this is where I wanted to go. And so I went to uh, Mr. Sofer, Don, and I said, you know, changes in the air. We should change the way that we're doing the, the menu and the food and the cuisine here. And it should be an American cuisine restaurant. This is, can be a magnificent place for it. And he was not happy with change. He didn't want to make that change. Uh, and so I said, well, it's time for me to leave. I need to open my own restaurant. Uh, it was, you know, it was the time. I had already worked for 10 years back and forth between Paris, New York, Miami. And so that I, I had the, the experience, the knowledge, the suppliers, the understanding of how to work with a, a team. And that's when I left there to open my own restaurant, Chef Allen's. So Chef Allen's, I know you had a, an amazing 25-year run. That's where I got to know of you and I got to dine there growing up here in South Florida. But how did that start? So a lot of people, like I've never owned my own place. You know, I have ideas if I've opened giant hotels and I've done all that stuff, but I've never opened a standalone. And I'm always so intrigued, like that moment where you leave a place that you work for someone set, now I'm going to open my own. Do you remember what that was like? Was it scary for you? Or were you ultra confident? Did you have investors? Was it just you putting money in? How, what was that start like? Well, the, the start off was I, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew the type of food that I wanted to cook and, and portray. And I sort of wanted the quality of Le Cirque, but without the pomp and circumstance. I wanted to be a local sort of cafe bistro where people would come on a daily basis eat and enjoy at reasonable prices, good, delicious food. Served well, served in a friendly atmosphere, and with great wines. So that's kind of where, you know, kind of I understood. When I left uh, Turnberry, I did not have investors. Uh, I thought I had investors lined up. I thought I had uh, a lot of things lined up. It all fell through. You yeah. know, money talks, suckers walk, and this was a... Uh, there, there was no money and there was no, nothing uh, there. So I actually went off to California for a month just to kind of eat again, do my culinary diligence of seeing what San Francisco, Napa Valley, Sonoma uh, was doing, what's happening in wine and food. Um, you know, it's funny because I, I went to, uh, you know, someone like Jeremiah Towers, a star's restaurant, met Jeremiah. I said, like, you know, I'm going to open a restaurant uh, American cuisine restaurant. I want to do like what you're doing here in California cuisine. And he goes like, what's California cuisine? I'm just cooking local. <laughs> he didn't even know it was a name thing. You know, it was like, I uh, said, so like, yeah, yeah, I, I know. But what you're doing with local, seasonal, fresh, that's, that's the key to what food should be about. And, you know, so again, inspirations from different chefs, res restaurants, and wineries and meeting good people like that. Uh, so I went back and found family money, uh, borrowed and begged and uh, put some things together, found the spot and kind of opened uh, on a shoestring. When, when opening the restaurant, um, I knew that I wanted to put most of my money into the kitchen. 
I'm the chef, you know, hey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, in putting the building a kitchen, I knew the most important thing is that the food be great and logistically it comes out quick and hot. Uh, so I designed the kitchen to be a very professional kitchen, very effective, organized, and also be open kitchen because uh, also at the time, nobody in my ever had an open kitchen. And I wanted to be where people can see a professional chef in the kitchen. And that was a big deal to begin with because mm -hmm. that was not something that was going on in Miami. So to see a professional chef in the kitchen, to see the food being prepared, to be able to interact with the guests from the kitchen side. And so that instead of just food going out the door and losing contact with the food, losing contact with the, the essence of what we're doing, I was able to stay connected to that. And that was ever so important to the, the theory of the, the restaurant, to the openness of my cooking, to the creativity, to the ever-changing menu. So I, I changed the menu every day. Depending on what was available, there was always a new dated menu. Um, PCs were just coming into fashion. And so that I was able to print a menu on a daily basis with the name, with the date on it. And so that, there, you know, we never did specials because the, the menu was it. It was the, the creative was right there in print and, and people loved it. See, I guess I didn't realize that. That's pretty awesome that you were changing every day, right? You had something new every day. But so leading up to the opening of the restaurant, I always love this part of hearing when people open it, right? So shoestring budget, you find your place, opening day is coming. What was that feeling like? Were you feeling scared, nervous, excited? What was the, the vibe before the, the doors opened that first day? Well, leading up, I, you know, I thought I would have opened three, four months earlier. My goal was I had left Turnberry in July 5th, right after the July 4th holiday, which we wow. served like yeah. 500 people. And I was honored to work till the moment. I worked through as probably you do when mm -hmm. you leave a place yep. with honor and, you know, be able to work through those things and then leave. And so that, uh, I left in July and figured by September, October, I'd be able to open and get ready for the season. This is Miami. I was sitting in a raw space in November thinking that, okay, December 25th, I'll, you know, I'm going to make it happen. Mm -hmm. Sitting in that same raw space on January 30th, uh, you know, it's starting to get built. It took until almost the middle of March till open. Wow. So somewhat frustrated somewhat relieved to finally open the doors, excited to, to open it, building a, a team, working and developing a, a staff, developing a, the logistics of it, uh, developing the organization, the opening menu, uh, the, the creative, the, the, all of those type of things. What a wonderful experience, amazing experience that uh, you, you just can't replace that, that type of experience. And quite honestly, I was still young and inexperienced. So yes, there were some mistakes. Uh, but being in the restaurant while I was being built day after day, I was able to make a lot of corrections that were on the plans, what they call change orders in construction. And uh, I was there to, to make sure that it was sort of customized to what I needed and wanted uh, logistics. And that was great. So opening day is actually funny because it, we did a soft opening. And, you know, so we opened the doors and, you know, had some friends and family in 
and my wife comes in the door, uh, comes into the kitchen where I'm cooking, and you know, mm-hmm. and she says, "Oh, guess what? The customer came in, and I turned them away because this was friends and family." I said, "No, no, 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 get them, get them. <laughs> They're paying the bill. Bring them in." <laughs> so we ran out the door to catch them. <laughs> Come back in here. Come back in. We're ready. <laughs> I wonder if he knew he was the first person. Right? So. so that's yeah. great. So then you open the doors day one. What was it like the, with the first official day? Very exciting. We took off uh, very quickly. You know, it was kind of in an odd spot in what became Aventura. Um, and my goal at the moment was that uh, being that I was at Turnberry for five years and knowing a lot of customers, I felt if I can get them to come once a week, once a month to come and see me and eat with me. And the same thing with uh, Williams Island customers that were there. So kind of located right in the middle between those two and kind of in the middle between Fort Lauderdale and Miami. Um, And that was actually an important part of my location uh, because I did not want to go to Coral Gables, which was a very established dining community or to Fort Lauderdale, you know, waterfront, which is also another well-established because those areas all had either Italian restaurants or French restaurants, cafes, bistros, trotterias. And I knew I wanted to do something completely different. I didn't want to be lumped into, oh, well, look what's new in Coral Gables or look what's new, you know, there. I, I picked a new location in Miami. I saw, also saw the future of Miami growing into this cosmopolitan city uh i opened in 1986 so this was quite a while ago and just looking at the architecture of south florida and what was growing and where where development was happening i felt that uh this area of north miami beach which turned into be aventura was the place where i opened it was north miami beach it wasn't until 95 that became the city of aventura well, you opened during a wild time. So 86, right? That's like the, you know, the new Cocaine Cowboy series is out here. Did you see any of that kind of coming through your restaurant at that time? Oh, like my all God. This kind of wild money? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's kind of what turned it from a small family bistro kind of thing into the place to be. A lot of people that, that came in, all, you know, this was, it turned into one of the hot restaurants. You also got to understand when I opened, there was no South Beach. Right. It did not exist except for the, the, the elderly that were kind of waiting, mm-hmm. waiting for what we all know. But uh, yes. so that, uh, yeah, this was like new and different and kind of uh, exotic in its own fashion. Uh, the type of menu, the type of cooking I was doing so that uh, really got a, a lot of a uh, lot of traffic uh, from people with lots of money from Turnberry, from the yachting industry, from, uh, you know, the, the, all of the areas around us, Golden Beach, and it was an amazing uh, start off. That's amazing. Yeah, and you had the open kitchen, so you started becoming the star, right? Yeah, well, uh, the open kitchen, and also I moved into the dining room very quickly. Nightly, I would be in the dining room visiting with customers. I wanted to hear directly from them what they wanted what they were eating, what they were enjoying, and kind of connecting. And that connection is really what hospitality is about. I think it's so important to 
not just cook food for your ego, but to cook food and relate to the people and see their reaction, you know, so that it was always fun to, you know, while we were cooking and busy, you see the food go down in front of the guests and they would like look at their plate and then they look over at their, their wife's plate or the friend's plate and they look around the table and they're seeing all this food and they're sort of like, mm, ah, you know, that, that looks better than mine. And, mm-hmm. you know, I got to get a bite. And, you know, so that there's always a, a lot of movement uh, within the, the, the food and uh, a lot of uh, joy when, when the food came out. That's awesome. So you open in 86, then let me say, do my math right. Eight years later, 94, right? You win Best Chef Award from the James Beard Foundation. What right. do you remember about that? Was it something shocking to you? Like say, wow, like this is really, everyone's kind of noticing me now this way? Or was it something you expected? What was that like? Never expected it. Shocked and delighted, yes. Uh, did I know it was coming? Um, interestingly, um, back a couple years before that, in 91, Food and Wine magazine named me one of the top 10 chefs in the United States. Amazing. And so that was uh, one of the first real wonderful recognitions that, that I had. In my class, Tommy, Tom Colicchio was named uh, in that same year out of uh, New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like when I won the James Beard Foundation, Danielle Boulou won for New York City. You know, so being in that generation, of great chefs, of folks like that, sort of felt good, uh, you know, and it, it was very rewarding. And at the same time, it was something that I did because I participated on a national level as well. Though, you know, I, I tried to make a difference in the community and working to help not just feed people in the restaurant, but feed hungry people. I've always been a, a part of uh, feeding uh, South Florida as well as a uh, taste of the nation to feed hungry people. And so that I, I kind of made cooking more than a profession. I made it a, a, a part of my life and to make sure that people got fed, whether they had money or not, whether they could eat in the restaurant or not. And so that taking a, a bigger picture of connecting to farmers connecting to fishermen connecting to the community well off and not that to me is what the restaurant was about it was a place to be able to be a part of the community and it gave me a home where you know for me at the time i only wanted one restaurant you know today mm-hmm. if you don't have three five restaurants what kind of chef could you be you know yeah. it's uh, you know you, but for, my goal was to have one great restaurant where people would come to me. I didn't want to have to run around to kind of say, well, he's not in the restaurant or this and that. I want to you come to me. I take care of you. You're going to have a great time. I'll cook for you. And that's kind of the, the, the way it was. And so that when people came, they did have a great time. They had a wonderful evening uh, and, and a great experience. And, and, you know, and food, when you can make it experiential, where they can, people can enjoy it and enjoy the evening and, uh, enjoy their friends. That's that's really what it's about. And I want to be cautious of our time. I know we're we're talking here, and I'm enjoying the stories. So, <laughs> you know, you have that legendary restaurant, right? And you go for 25 years there. When did you kind of realize, like, okay, it's time to this one. It's time to close this one down. What what kind of hits you? Good question. And it actually was my kids. Originally and all throughout, uh, you know, 
I thought my kids would take over the restaurant, take over the empire, uh, kind of speak and, and get involved. And then I realized that I don't want my kids to be in this business. They didn't want to be in the business. I didn't want to force it in, on them. And they were getting old enough to do their own thing. And I said, you know, I don't want to, you know, turn it over to somebody else. It makes no sense. And there are so many other things that in this world that are going on in food that it really made me change that, you know, I didn't want to change the restaurant. It was time to close that chapter and open a new chapter. And that's kind of really what it was. If I couldn't turn it over to my kids um, to continue as a, this great family establishment and business, um, then I did not want to just, uh, you know, have it uh, go on and on. And as I said, there are so many other different things that were going on in food uh, in the modern times, modern communications, uh, different types of restaurants. Uh, and so that uh, it was time to change. And so you close, what year was that that you ended up closing? 2011. 2011. And then since then, did you have another restaurant? I, I, you've been consulting, right? And, and kind of creating things. I know you're at the Art Center. I just, was that right after? No, no. I've, I started consulting actually back uh, before I closed the restaurant. Mm -hmm. uh, and the consulting was very rewarding and very profitable uh, and creative. And so that closing the, the restaurant was closing just one piece of what I was doing. Uh, at the time, I was also consulting for American Airlines. I was consulting for Sunkist. Uh, I was consulting for Kraft Foods, consulting for resorts like uh, Jade Mountain out mm -hmm. in uh, St. Lucia, which I still consult for today. It's amazing. I'm headed out to St. Lucia in a, a few days to go out there. Amazing property in St. Lucia, 650 acres of pure beauty on the Caribbean with a 30-acre organic farm. And I work with them to create their menus. Uh, and kind of, you know, we have five different concepts there at Jade Mountain. We've got uh, a very high-end, high-quality uh, Jade Club, which is very international, though based locally, mm -hmm. uh, influenced uh, internationally like that. But we also have a vegan restaurant, which I'm very proud of working with our farmer to, who grows our vegetables for it and doing vegan, a sustainable seafood restaurant uh, there with all the local Caribbean fish and presentations. So it's just a, just a, a, a smashing success like that. And a restaurant that's called Apsara, which is a East Indian meets West Indian fusion cuisine of Indian flavors and West Caribbean uh, uh, techniques. So really wow, some fun awesome. stuff. Yeah, that sounds so, delicious. You know, creatively, this is a, it's a dream come true. And quite honestly, it, it's only one of the projects that I consult on. Yeah, you, uh, you know, we met on another project. And <clears throat> I just was so, you know, I was starstruck when I saw you because, you know, you've been around <laughs> and seen so many great things and a part of the culture here in Miami, which I'm born and raised here. So for me, I always love the pieces of history and the people who create what's been down here. So it was grateful to be able to talk with you and, and meet you at over at the Lowe's hotel. So now if someone was to say, what's your most exciting, is it what you're working on in St. Lucia? Is that what you're most excited about now? Or is there something that you're able to share with us that uh, you have coming up? 
Well, St. Lucia is a lot of fun, and it's been always a a wonderful challenge uh, on the creative side. But within food itself, where modern technology, modern techniques of how people want food, where they get their food, uh, and and kind of how we had met at the the Lowe's, I'm working with uh, two Korean girls. Mm -hmm. And quite literally, that's the name of their company, two Korean girls. (laughs) Make sure we're clear, yes. (laughs) And... They're wonderful, talented uh, girls who have a, also a family history in the restaurant business. And they wanted to open up a, a restaurant in, uh, here in Miami. And I kind of moved them into the idea of a ghost kitchen. They had never heard of a ghost kitchen uh, where we kind of don't have a front of house, but we do have all the quality of the, the kitchen and it's delivered to your doorstep. So the ghost kitchen uh, can work almost out of any kitchen or any facility. Uh, And obviously a a lot of uh, your listeners and watchers will be familiar with ghost kitchens because they probably get deliveries from them on a regular basis through Grubhub, through Uber Eats. And and that's what these come out of ghost kitchens in general. Uh, It's a new economical way of looking at organizing the, the restaurant. But meanwhile, you get fresh delicious ingredients. And so that two Korean girls uh, is a concept of bimibops, which is a comfort food for a Korean cooking. And what it, it, it's a combination, sort of a, a warm rice bowl cooked to order with steamed and pickled vegetables and some stir fry meats or fish, depending on, on what it is. And it's just unctuously good. I'll tell you that. And yes. so that uh, working with them has been wonderful. Uh, we're going to be actually be doing a pop-up for uh, Korean New Year's uh, coming up in about a week here now. So looking forward to doing that at the, the Lowe's. So we're going to have some fun as we That's grow. That's wonderful. I'm so happy we were able to get that set up there yeah. uh, before I left. Um, but I can vouch for it, guys. If you haven't tried it, if you're down in the South Florida area and Chicago now, too, I see it, right? Exactly, yes. Find them. It's uh, worth it. And the packaging is top-notch and just a great experience overall with the, with that restaurant group. I, I, I love them. They're very nice and creative. But, you know, Chef Allen, I appreciate you taking the time to meet with me today. And I just wanted to know, like, you know, we, we're trying to mentor people coming through, coming up in the industry right now where it's a challenging time. If you were talking to Alan Susser back in New York on the grill, making hot dogs, what kind of advice would you give to, to your young self coming up in the industry now? That's a great question. I, I think uh, ad, advice, uh, which I would give to myself and I would give to uh, people coming up in, in the industry of, if it is something that interests you, stay with it, do the best that you can within the environment, uh, learn as much as you can, while also at the same time going out and learning on your own. Go eat in restaurants that you like. Go eat and learn about other foods and cuisines. And don't just look at it as a job of what you're doing to earn a couple dollars. Look at it as where it's going to take you in the future. Sort of you have to envision and look at the places, the foods that are around you, the supplies, the farms, whatever it is, that interests you and kind of learn as much as you can from the work experience, from the eating experience, from the hospitality and today from the Internet. I mean, social media is a, is a, is a big thing and, and and do that. But apply yourself, 
apply yourself in every which way you, you can. Uh, and not every step is going to be the right step. You know, you can make mistakes. It's not the end of the world. You make a mistake, step out of it and start again. But stay focused on growing and learning each day. I love that. I think that's a, a great place to end the podcast today. Chef Allen, I appreciate it very much. If somebody wants to connect with you, is Instagram a good place? Is it LinkedIn? Is it where, where can the they connect above. with you? Yeah, okay. Instagram works. Uh, Chef Allen Susser. Uh, LinkedIn is the, the same Chef Allen Susser or direct Gmail is fine also. Great. Yeah. Connect with him on Instagram. He posts some delicious looking photos. I can attest to it since I started following him. Well, Chef Allen, thanks again. I appreciate you being on the show today. My pleasure. Thank you. This podcast is a Hospitality.fm production.